All right. All our kids, let's give them a good hand as they go. Amen. Well, the Bible tells us that there is a day coming when multitudes of people will be taken out of this world. I shared with you a little bit last week about the person in Scripture known as the Antichrist. And uh, I shared with you last week that that would not, the revealing of who the Antichrist is would not happen until he who now restrains is taken out of the way, that being the church. And uh, while this is happening, while the rapture is happening, the world is going to be in a very chaotic state. I shared with you a little bit last week about just some of the things that could very possibly happen. Uh, Pilotless airplanes. You know, they don't fly very well without a pilot. Uh, Driverless cars because there's there's no driver in there anymore because they've been raptured. And uh, children, they'll, they'll be gone from their beds and playgrounds and parks and schools while, while people run through the streets looking for their missing children. And uh, panic will begin to grip households in city after city after city. And every country will be experiencing the same things. And... Uh, Within the Assemblies of God fellowship, there is a uh, doctrine that we hold to that we all refer to as the rapture, but it's known also as the blessed hope. And that's what I want to title this message today, the blessed hope. Now, I did touch down on some of these things last week, but I want to go into even more detail this week on the rapture because I don't want, my intent is not to scare anybody. But I just preface everything by saying this. There are two things that are very, very important. Where you go when you die. There is not a greater thing to be concerned about. There's no financial issue. There's no relationship issue. There is no problem greater than the knowledge of knowing that when you die, you know where you're going. Because the Bible says, it is appointed unto men once to die. I've said this before, Death has a 100% success rate. One in every one die. Unless the second thing, the rapture happens. And what does it take to know we'll go in the rapture? Because it's very plain in Scripture that there are those who don't go in the rapture. And I shared with you over the past weeks about the last days, and we've looked at 
prophecy, and we have uh, looked at the things that Jesus said would soon take place, where he said there's going to be wars, there's going to be rumors of wars. We're seeing that. But he said, it's not yet the time of the end. And did you also know that God created the sun and the moon and the stars for much more than just lighting this world? The Bible also says that they are for signs and for seasons and for years. And they're used by God to give us signs of the times in His calendar. And Jesus said there would be earthquakes, and we're seeing that. We don't see it on the main news, but it's happening all over the world. There are things going on, and if it, if it reaches a certain epic proportion, we hear about it. But there are earthquakes and tsunamis, and literally the whole earth right now is in an upheaval as we race toward the end of time. And again, I'm not saying these things to scare us. I'm saying these things to prepare us. And... As Jesus was preparing to go to the cross, I want us to look at this scripture first in John chapter 14. I use this scripture often at funerals or in memorials, but I want us to see this in the light of Jesus' teaching about the blessed hope. I want us to see this in light of the rapture, and we're going to follow along. We're going to read verses 1 through 3, and as he is preparing to go to the cross, his disciples are very concerned. Okay, they're very concerned. And Jesus made a promise to them here in John 14, 1 through 3. And this is what he said. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God or you believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. In other words, if heaven wasn't full of dwelling places that he's preparing. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. He said, if this were not so, I would have told you that. But I'm telling you right now that there are places in heaven that there are mansions, and I'm going and I am preparing a place for you. Now, how many of that, that helps you heart not be troubled, especially when you have a loved one that is no longer here. And then he says, If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. Say this, I will come again and receive you to myself. Now that together is an event. That where I am, there you may be also. So what he does is he gives them a basic understanding that Jesus would come again in order to receive those who believe in him and take them to his father's house or to heaven so that they could be with him again because they're going to miss him. They're they're sad. He's leaving. And you know, when when a loved one leaves, when a loved one passes, we, 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 we miss them. And that's where these believers, when we go now to 1 Thessalonians, and this is the scripture I, I have used in the past to share with you because this is the main passage of scripture that teaches the blessed hope or the rapture. And those of you who are in discipleship hour today, I use the, the Greek word and reference in First Thessalonians 4 and verse 17, which we'll look at in a minute. The Greek word there is harpazo. 
It means to snatch out. It means to, to remove, to, to uh, catch away. Okay, even though we don't find the word rapture, it's used throughout Christianity. It's used throughout the church world. You say the word rapture, most Christians know what you're talking about. Even though the word itself is not in Scripture, the thought, the idea, the teaching, we could call it the great snatching away. Rapture just sounds a little easier. But it, it is the great catching away of the saints. So the fullness of this teaching is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And we're going to read this and we're going to kind of go be, take this verse by verse. So what happened is, is as Jesus told them this was going to happen, here's what began to take place. The problem that the followers of Christ had was that they didn't understand how this would happen. And after a while, their loved ones began to die. And they began to be buried. And Christ hadn't returned yet. And still hasn't. Yet. And they deeply cared for them, and they wondered what was going to happen to their, their loved one. So Paul, in this passage of 1 Thessalonians 4, not only gives us a detailed chronological order of the rapture, but he also answers the burning question in their hearts about those who have died in Christ before the rapture. What's going to happen to them? Their body's in the ground. And so the first thing Paul does here, and I'm going to just uh, give you kind of a, a point for each of these verses. Number one, in verse 13, he dispels the believer's Ignorance or uh, lack of knowledge, not understanding. Ignorance is not necessarily a bad word. It's just if you're ignorant of something, you don't, you don't know it. You don't know what is there. So he doesn't want you to be ignorant of that. So he dispels the, the believer's ignorance. In verse 13, he says, but we do not want you to be uninformed. I mean, that's a little, that's a little, it goes through the, the tongue a little bit easier, doesn't it, than ignorant. We don't want you to be uninformed, brethren about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve, as do the rest who have no hope. Everybody say the blessed hope. I want to give you hope today. I'm not trying to scare you. So Paul knew that they didn't understand this, and he did not want them to continue in their uninformed state, and because they knew these things that Jesus had told them, but they weren't seeing them happen. And in our world today, there is right now, probably more than ever before, an incredible ignorance about what the Bible says regarding this subject. Because many have decided that what the Bible has to say about the future is not relevant today. But if you've been listening to these messages I've been ministering over the past several weeks, you know that it can be further from the truth. Because over a quarter of the Bible is prophecy. And like I said last week, every prophecy that has been fulfilled has been fulfilled to the letter, to the T. The second thing is, is he describes the believer's death. Look at this, back in verse 13. He says, I don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. Now the word that is used here for Asleep is a metaphor that's used in the New Testament uh, 
And uh, it's the word koimao, if you want to speak Greek. Koimao. And what it literally means, it's used as a metaphor to describe the death of a Christian. Okay? In the New Testament, the death of a Christian is described as falling asleep. Okay? Jesus did this in John eleven eleven. Let's look at that scripture. It says here in John eleven eleven, this he said to them, or this he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus, he's speaking to the disciples, has fallen asleep. But I go so that I may awaken him out of sleep. Well, if you keep reading that, the disciples are like, well, if he's asleep, he'll wake up. Well, Jesus said, hey, guys, he's dead. And I want to go raise him from the dead. So in the Scripture, we find that, you know, Lazarus isn't taking a nap when Jesus gets to him. I mean, he hadn't been sleeping for four days. He's been dead for four days, right? The Bible says he's even starting to smell. And... But that's the way death is for a Christian is described in the Bible as sleep. Because it's like you go to sleep. In fact, have, has this ever happened to you? When I was a kid, I remember going on these, uh, every Christmas we used to have these family gatherings. And we would travel from, sometimes we'd have it at my grandparents' house. And then it would kind of go to one of my uncle and aunt's house. And we would always have Christmas. And we would exchange gifts. And I remember one Christmas how we had, uh, it was at my grandma and grandpa's house, and we left our home to travel there. And during the process, at one point, I fell asleep during the trip. And I did not wake up until I was at grandma and grandpa's house. That's kind of like death for a Christian. You go to sleep And you wake up in heaven. Your body goes to sleep, but you're awake in heaven. Just like that. And that's the hope we have as Christians, folks. That's called the blessed hope. Say the blessed hope. Then he defends the believer's hope in verse 13 and 14. It says, so that you will not grieve as the rest who do not have hope. Look at that again in verse 13 so that you will not grieve as the rest who don't have any hope. So at a, at a Christian funeral, at a Christian memorial, yes, we, we, we've lost our loved one, but we know we're going to see them again. We know we have a hope that they are in heaven, and we're going to see them again. And then it goes on and says, for uh, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, how many of us believe that? It's what Resurrection Sunday is all about. Even so, God will bring with him. Everybody say Jesus. If we believe Jesus died and rose again, then God will bring with Jesus all of those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. So this explains how, uh, how Jesus took the sting out of death. You know, for the believer, Jesus has changed what we call death into sleep. And he's taken the sting out of death because we know, for the believer, death isn't final. Amen. Amen. Now, let's look at verse 15. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, 
He's, just, he's not making this up. He's saying this is God's word, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. What does fallen asleep mean? We won't precede those who are dead. Now, here, we have an assurance by Paul to the believer that you don't have to worry about your parents who died before you, a child who died before you, a loved one who died before you, a spouse who's gone on before you in death because they're going up before you do. Okay? Those in the grave, the Bible says, are going to be caught up first, and then those who are alive and remain will join them in the air. So the dead in Christ will go first, and the reason they go first is because they have six feet further to go than we do. You know, I mean, seriously, they're, they're, no, but in, very honestly, their spirit and their soul is in heaven. Their body is here. Amen. Now, this is not just a doctrine from the Bible. This is a reality that is yet on the horizon for everyone who is a true believer in Jesus. I say a true believer in Jesus. And I say that because there are those that Jesus said, will say, Lord, Lord, did we not cast demons out in your name? Did we not do this in your name? And while we read all of this in Scripture, I wonder if we really believe it down in the real depths of our heart. And I say that because of this. If we really, really, really believe this, we will be energetic to let other people know about this blessed hope. And this is the reason that I share this with you today, not only so that you'll be ready, but also so that you will help others get ready. Two most important decisions. Where is somebody going to spend eternity, and are you ready? Are you ready if death doesn't happen? Are you, because that's the thing. The rapture can happen before death. But if Jesus doesn't come back, death can happen before the rapture. So you've got to be ready. And the two things are so intertwined. Now, I want to show you how this will all work. Look at verse 16. And in verse 16, I'll say it this way, there's going to be a return. There will be a return. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God. In the rapture, it is the Lord himself who is coming back. Can you say amen to that? He's not going to send just an angel to come and get us. He is going to come and get us. Look at what Acts 1, 9 through 11 says. It says, and after he had said, or he, after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. In other words, as Jesus was speaking to them on that, on that mount, after the 40 days, he was speaking to them, and all of a sudden, he said, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the... And he began to rise. He began to go. And the Bible says that as, as he was saying that, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing... 
verse 10 says, intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. And they also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way. Say the same way. As you have watched him go into heaven. Jesus will come in person the same way he left. Do you see this? It's so easy. It's so simple. But, and it's right there. There's going to be return, a return. And the detail of the rapture is so complete. We're even given the sounds that are going to be heard by those who are followers of Christ when he returns. We're told in 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 16, what? He will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God. That shofar over there, that's the trumpet of God. That's the one he created on the, from the horns of an animal, the shofar, the trumpet of the Lord will sound. So there's going to be, there's going to be a shout, there's going to be a voice of the archangel, and there's going to be a trumpet. And those three different sounds are given to us in this passage, and those who have put their trust in Jesus, we're going to hear those sounds. Hallelujah. Amen? Now, there's also going to be a resurrection. There's going to be a return, but we also know there's going to be a resurrection. You look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 through 55. We're going to look at that. We've already seen that the dead in Christ will rise first. And this, this is not going to be a resurrection of all the dead. When it happens, there will be graves opened all over the world. I mean, can you imagine uh, if you were visiting a grave... This will be an interesting thing. If you're visiting the grave of your loved one that is going to go to be with Jesus, and they come out of the ground, and they begin to rise, and then you're bodily, you're changed in a moment, in an instant, in a twinkling of an eye, and then you are going to be caught up with them. There's a lot of scenarios. Interesting. And these graves are going to be opened up all over the world, and people who have died on the mountains, people who have died at the sea that were not buried will be resurrected, but only those who know Christ as their Lord and Savior. And the reason that there's going to be a resurrection is because those bodies need to be reunited with the soul and the spirit, as I've told you before, because our bodies are going to be changed. Now look at this, and this is the reason. Now I say this, brethren... That flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Just keep going through. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. What is he saying? We will not all die, but we will all be changed. You see, those bodies in the grave are going to change to immortal, just like our bodies are going to change to immortal. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For this perishable, this body, must put on the imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. 
But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Right now, death stings. Death hurts. Death is painful. For those who are left behind of a lost lo- of a loved one that is gone, it's painful. But there's going to be a resurrection. So there's going to be a return. There's going to be a resurrection. Then there will be a rapture. Then, look at this. Let's go back to that verse. Uh, sorry, verse uh, 16, I believe, of... First Thessalonians 4. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then the next verse, 17. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up. Right there it is. Caught up, snatched, harpazo. The rapture is going to happen. This is the main scripture in, in the Bible. We who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds. Notice this, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. That's where he's going to come to. Just as he left, he's going to come the same way in the clouds. Dead in Christ rise first. We which are alive and remain joined together with him. And we will meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord from that moment on. Man, is this good news? This is the blessed hope. And so there's going to be a rapture and then... That verse right there shows there'll be a reunion. There'll be a reunion. There are going to be three meetings, so to speak, at one time. Let me walk you through this. The bodies of those who have died will reunite with their soul and spirit in the air, as I said earlier, and be reconnected. That's the first reunion. The second is we who are alive and remain will meet all our loved ones who have gone before us in the air. Thirdly, all of us together are going to meet the Lord in the air. Amen? Now, to borrow a little bit from United Airlines, we will all fly united in the friendly skies. We will be there together. To put a different twist on the slogan. So, at that point, after we meet the Lord, we're going to go, we'll be in heaven. We'll partake of the marriage supper of the Lamb. We'll be judged for the deeds that we did on this earth. There'll be the judgment seat of Christ. We'll receive reward or lack of reward, depending upon what we did. We'll see the mansion. We'll see the place that Jesus said he's prepared for us there. We will walk with him. We will talk with him. We'll be introduced to family members that we may have uh, found on Ancestry.com that we have never met before and reach back in time to other lands before coming to America. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. And notice the end part of that verse in verse 17. And so shall we always. Somebody say always. Always be with the Lord. No more departures. No more absences. No more sorrow, no more pain, no more misunderstandings. And then we have one PS, one postscript to look at, and it's verse 18. Paul says, therefore, 
what we're supposed to do is comfort one another with these words. Those are hope words. Those are comfort words. See, it, it's not to be a, to scare people. The only reason we would be scared is if we're not ready. Right? Therefore, comfort one another with these words. That's what we do when a believer dies in the Lord. We stand before a, a, a casket or a, an urn. Or we, we stand before a, a, an open grave, and, and this may look like the end to, you, to us. Okay? But it's not, or at least it doesn't have to be. Because if we're a Christian and they're a Christian, we know we're going to see him again. It does not, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying, it does not make it hurt any less. But there's comfort in these words. In church, we don't know when it's going to be. I'm reminded of three teenagers who were listening to a preacher on one Sunday, and they were sitting on the back pew. And he preached on eternity. And while he was preaching on eternity, you could, they're just snickering and laughing and making fun of him and talking about how young they were and they had all their life to live. It was like eternity, it's, it's no big deal to us. And uh, he opened up the altar call at the end of his message for anybody to make sure they were ready for eternity, and they laughed at him. And he literally felt so strong about it that he kept the altar call open to the point where he even walked back to the boys and pleaded with them to be ready. And they laughed again and mocked him. And then they walked out before the service was over. And there was an extended time of prayer in that service as the church came and began to pray for souls and began to pray for people. And about 30 minutes passed, and in the back of the auditorium came a police officer. And he asked if they knew these three boys. And they said, yes, they were just here. We just had service. And he said, well, I'm sorry to have to share this news with you, but they've been involved in an accident. They wrapped their car around a telephone pole and not any survived. So my question is, how long is it until eternity? For those young men, less than 30 minutes. So what is the action we need to take today as I close? Well, number one, we should be looking for the Lord. Let me give you this scripture in Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. It says this. Do we have that one up there? Titus? Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. We'll get that for you. It says, For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly when? 
in this present age. Now notice this. Looking, here it is, for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what he's talking about. And he tells us how to do that. Looking for the blessed hope, instructing us to deny ungodliness and world desires and live sensibly, live righteously, live godly in this present age and to look for the blessed hope. That's our job. Look for that. And secondly, not only should we be looking for the Lord, we should be, as this scripture says, living for the Lord. I mean, live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age because this is, this is it. This is not a dress rehearsal. This is it. This is the real thing. Today, don't wait to live like this because soon and very soon, like the old song said, we're going to see the king. And when you live this way, you'll be living the exact opposite way that most of the world is living. And that is why the world continues down the road of sin and you continue down the road of righteousness. Now, let me tell you what's going to happen. You will become more and more different from the world in which you live And that's not something you should be afraid of. That's not something you should be ashamed of as a child of God. That's the way God said it would be. The righteous would become more righteous, and the wicked would become more wicked. And last of all, you cannot participate in the rapture if you're not a believer and follower of Christ. And some say, well, I'll get saved during the tribulation. Well, that's not going to be as easy as I think. Yeah, there's going to be people get saved during then. Might be a little bit hard to find something to eat. Because if you take the mark or the number of the beast, you won't make it to heaven. But if you don't take the mark of the number, you have no way to buy or sell. So getting food is going to be a little bit of an issue. It won't be as easy as you think. Many people who get saved during the tribulation, they're going to die for it. So it's going to be tougher to live for God in those days. And one day the trumpet is going to sound. And church, this is not sci-fi. This is not some science fiction uh, book made by Orson Welles. This is from Scripture. This is what the Bible tells us. Jesus himself is saying this. Paul tells us this. So... For all of you here today and all of you watching and listening online, I just I want to close with a question to help you as you contemplate the importance of this message. Which of these two options would you choose if you had the chance? The first option is this. Let's say that for 24 hours you could be a billionaire, you would be famous, For 24 hours, you'd have everything you needed, everything you wanted. You could do whatever you want, buy wherever you want, go wherever you want. And you would do this for 24 hours, but after that, you'd be thrown into jail and have to stay there for the rest of your life. That's option one. Or number two, you could choose this option, which is for 24 hours, you will be in jail and you will be penniless But after 24 hours, you will be freed from jail, still penniless, but you will know 
that for the rest of your life, you'll be free. Which option will you choose? Well, obviously, we'd take option number two. It'd be foolish to take the first option because no one wants to be a billionaire for only a day and spend the rest of their life in jail. But that's basically the decision people are making who refuse Jesus for the world. Because for the rest of their life, they'll be imprisoned. On the other hand, some people have given their heart to the Lord. You've put your faith in Christ. You're going to heaven, but it seems like you're getting the bad end of everything. Do you know Jesus spoke about this too? He talked about a certain rich man who daily lived in splendor. He dressed in purple in church back in those days. To get a garment purple was expensive. To make a garment purple, you had to be rich. And he daily lived in splendor. And there was a man, Jesus said, named Lazarus, who was sick, had boils and sores, and the dogs would lick his sores. He, would, he was at the gate of this temple, of this king, and he would just ask for the crumbs, just the crumbs that fell off his table. And both of them died. And Jesus said, one went into Hades, the rich man, and Lazarus went into paradise. One was comforted, and the other was tormented. And this man who had everything he wanted, that side of eternity, this side of eternity, all he wanted, he just wanted some water. Just a drop. Because he was in torment, and he was thirsty. And Jesus, as he tells the story, he's like, nobody can come over from here to you, and nobody from there can come over from there to us. Because at that point, Hades and paradise, there was a chasm between the two. That's what Jesus, that's what, that's what he said. There was a great gulf because he said no one from over there can come over here and no one from over here can come over there. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, this rich man became a soul winner. He's like, well, then send Lazarus to my brothers and tell them about this because I don't want them to come to this place. And he's like, no, they have the law and the prophets. They have the word of God. If they're not going to hear the word of God, They won't believe somebody who died and rose again from the dead to tell them. Now let's stop. And let's ask this question. How long is eternity? How long will we exist either with or without the presence of God? I want to illustrate this for you. There is a bird called an African swallow. Let's say he's in your backyard and you have a sandbox and you take a pail 
and you fill that sandbox full of sand and then let some of the grains of sand fall through your hands. And let's say one bucket of sand has thousands of grains of sand, just a bucket. Now let's imagine that that African swallow could pick up one of the grains of sand in its beak and fly to the moon and drop it off. Now, an African swallow can fly at an average of 24 miles an hour. The moon is 238,857 miles from the earth. Put pen to paper, it would take 414 days for that swallow to reach the moon, or one year, one month, two weeks, and five days. Just get up there. And he puts that grain of sand down on the surface of the moon, and he flies back to earth, which takes him another 415 days. And then he picks up the next grain of sand, and he repeats this process, flying back to the moon, dropping off the grain of sand, flying back and doing this repeatedly. And one by one, the swallow takes each grain of sand in just your sandbox to the moon. And when he's finished, you take him down to Key West, Florida, and you show him the Atlantic Ocean, and you take him to the beach, which runs along the coast, and you tell him now what you did in my sandbox. I want you to start clearing off the sand on this beach one grain at a time. And he starts there, and then he finishes there, and he works his way up to Miami, and then he goes to Jacksonville, Hilton Head, Charleston, New York City, Boston, up to Maine, and he takes each grain of sand to the moon one at a time. And when he's done with all of that, you take him out to the West Coast, and then you have him go all the way down the West Coast, and you have him go up California, Oregon, Washington. You tell him, take one grain of sand, one at a time, and fly it up to the moon. And when the swallow finishes all of that, you say, now I got these other little spots called deserts. There's one called the Sahara. Come with me there. And so the bird follows you to the Sahara And he does that one one at a time. And when he finishes that, you say, now three-fourths of the surface of the earth is water. I'm going to drain the ocean dry. And at the bottom of the ocean, you have sand. Take all of that sand to the moon, one grain of sand at a time. Are you guys getting bored yet? When he finishes that, if you could, add up all the millions of years it had taken to remove all the sand out of all of those places. Eternity has just begun. Can you understand now why this message is important for people? Before you die, make sure you've placed your faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. If you mess up and sin today, make sure. Just make sure you're right with Him. I know He knows your heart. But if you're listening to this message here or online and you haven't accepted Him as your Lord and Savior, I am, I am asking you to simply say to Jesus, 
I need you. I love you. Please forgive me of my sin because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us. There's not one of us without sin. There is none righteous, no, not one. And you know, a lot of times when we're going we're gonna to be looking here in a few weeks at Resurrection Sunday, and we're going to find that, that all the disciples that were with Jesus, all of them that prayed the night before with him actually slept when they should have been praying, but they, 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 they weren't with him. They, they denied even knowing him. Church, we've all done that. We've all done that. We've all betrayed him. We've all denied him. But there's one thing I'm seeing in the world in which we live today is we do not have time on our side. And church, I say that because what we are seeing today, we have never seen before. And I'll leave you with this last scripture. It says that if it is with difficulty that the righteous are saved, what will be the outcome of the world? Bow with me, please. Father, I've done what I know to say and or done what I know to do and said what you've asked me to say, and now I pray that you will go places I can't go. And that is the human heart, the conscience of every one of us. Father, make us ready, whether it be through the rapture or whether it be through death. But let us be ready. Help us know you as Lord and Savior. If there is anything between us and you, wipe it away. Let the blood of Jesus wash it away. And thank you, Lord, that we have this hope that you will come again and that you will take us unto yourself. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. And I want to I wanna just also put this as, a, as an addendum to the end. Beside Jesus on the cross were thieves, guilty of what they did. And the Bible says that they both were hurling abuse at him. But something happened to one of them that as he saw the way Jesus handled his situation, he changed. While the other one just kept on after it. He mocked. They mocked. They were hurling abuse. But the one turned and said, you know what? We are guilty of this. We should be here. This man is innocent. And then he looked over to Jesus and he said, Jesus, and listen, this is why I say, yeah, there's a sinner's prayer. I can walk you through it. I can t- but I really believe the sinner's prayer, it needs to be your prayer. It needs to come out of your heart. It needs to flow from your spirit. It needs to be something that is in you because this man, after he had hurled abuse at Jesus and saw the way he acted and the way he responded, all he said, this is all he said, is Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's all he said. But Jesus knew what he meant. And these were Jesus' words to him. Surely, I tell you, today, you will be with me in paradise.
today. He was the first one. He was the first one to enter paradise right after Jesus. And he was there that day. Because he came by later and broke his legs to make sure he died. Not Jesus, but the thief. And when he died, he died and went to paradise. Jesus just taught a story just about like this. He died, and guess where he went? Right with Jesus in paradise. Guess where the other thief went? Right across the chasm into Hades. You see, we look at these things, and sometimes people look at this and go, these are just a bunch of stories. No, this is reality. Jesus wasn't just telling stories. In fact, I really don't even like calling Bible stories. They were true. This is a true account. A true account. Well, I got to let you go. But listen, this is so important. It's important we understand it. It's important that we live it. Can you say a big amen to that? Now, just share the love of God with other people. Let them know. You know, you can make a big, a big conversation happen out of just a simple question. You, could, you can give that very same question in two parts about the billionaire jail and the penniless jail. And which would you rather? Now, we're not guaranteed as to what they're going to say, but it's our job to say it. Amen? All right, I'll let you go. I love you guys. We'll see you next Sunday. God bless you. And we'll, uh, we'll be having next Sunday, it will be the Sunday that Jesus, his last week, came into Jerusalem. Amen? Just before Easter. God bless you guys.